Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is part two of episode 31 in the book of John entitled The Vine and the Branches, where we discuss John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today? Well, this is a, an incredibly rich section of uh, our, our fellowship with and walking with Jesus Christ. Uh, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, the idea of Jesus as the vine and we as the branches deriving life-giving, nourishing sap from him continually gives you a sense of the, the immediacy of fellowship that with, with Christ that we all must have. It's the fulfillment of the word Emmanuel, God with us. It's, it's the power of the Holy Spirit to mediate that to us. It is what the daily walk with Jesus is all about. Then the second half of the section we're going to look at today is all about love. It's about the obedience of love, the fact that if we love him, we'll obey his commandments, the self-sacrifice of love. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends and the fact that love will mark us as disciples of Christ. So there's mm -hmm. a lot to cover today. I love that. So it seems like there's two major sections here, abide and love. I'm looking forward to talking about that with you today. So let me read the first 17 verses of John chapter 15 to set the stage. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The end of verse 5 uh, makes this big blanket statement. Mm -hmm. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Wow. So what does Jesus mean by that? Mm -hmm. It seems like there are non-Christians who are clearly apart from Christ who do many things. Right. How is this blanket statement true? It's incredibly, incredibly important statement. Um, it is meant to humble us. It is meant to help us. It's meant to help us realize how vital it is that we abide in Jesus. And, mm. and when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing, that also speaks much to our rewards, the theology of rewards. When we get to heaven, like the 24 elders casting their crowns, it is well and right that they should cast their crowns because apart from Jesus, they didn't do anything good. Jesus gets all credit and all glory for every good work we've ever done because apart from him, we could do nothing. Um, I would say we can do much apart from Jesus, just nothing good. Okay, yeah. nothing of eternal value. Sure. So you're right. Some skillful, talented non-Christians can win Nobel Prizes apart from Jesus. But it's all wood, hay, and straw. It's nothing. It's going to get yeah. burned up on Judgment Day. They get no rewards. They didn't do anything by faith, so it's sin. They didn't do anything out of love, so it accomplishes nothing. It's apart from him. They can do nothing. So I think what this does, this statement is meant to underscore a disposition or demeanor of absolute dependence on Jesus. I say this to him a lot in prayer. Mm. Lord, help me. Help me now in my prayer time. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Yeah. I can't even pray unless you help me. 
One last thing. We have come to realize that the universe, the physical and spiritual universe that God made, but we can think especially physical, the physical universe that God made is utterly, completely dependent on God at every moment mm. for its continued existence. God keeps the nucleus of every atom from flying apart, from ceasing to exist. He did not create an independent universe. He created a needy universe. So it's literally true that apart from him, we can't even exist. But I think he means here being fruitful spiritually, doing good works that will please him. Apart from him, we can't do those. Mm. On the heels of verse 5, what does verse 6 threaten? And how might we use this as an exhortation to other Christians or in evangelism with unbelievers? Well, this is where we talk about the branches that are thrown away and in, in, in the fire and burned. And I think anytime you have this image of this metaphor of fire, really talking about condemnation, mm. talking about hell, John the Baptist was. Um, you know, the, the idea of being thrown in the fire is of condemnation. And so fundamentally, I think what we're supposed to do with this is look at our lives. There should be a clear teaching from every pulpit regularly on marks of regeneration or the kind of fruit you should see in your life if you're born again. Mm -hmm. We should talk about that. Mm -hmm. Parents of growing kids should know it. They should know what regeneration looks like so they can evaluate their children yeah. and help their children to evaluate themselves. And the backdrop is this scary statement. If you don't see this fruit in your life, you're not born again. Mm. You're not a Christian. And so don't deceive yourself. Know the truth. There should be a love for God's word. There should be a, a humility and a confession, a regular pattern of confession of sin. There should be a love for the brothers and sisters in Christ, a delight in worship. There should be an eagerness to please God, a yearning after holiness, a hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Mm. These are some of the marks of regeneration. Yeah, I love that. So you mentioned a moment ago how this attitude of dependence in John 15 plays into your own prayer life. And there's a, there's a unique connection, I think, between uh, asking God for things and this idea of abiding. What does Jesus promise in verse 7 and what conditions does he attach to that promise? My goodness. So John 15, 7 is my go-to central verse on scripture memorization. Hmm. This is the, people ask, well, why should I memorize scripture? If you have one verse for me, yeah. there's a few that I, but this is my home, home base verse. If you abide, dwell, remain in me, and my words, plural, dwell or abide or remain in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. And then he says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And in that way, prove to be my disciples. So how does it work? I believe that the plural of the word words, all right, so if you abide or dwell or remain in me, so you're born again, and you've got that active relationship with me, and secondly, second condition, my words, plural, hmm. dwell, abide, remain, live inside you. Hmm. Sounds like memorization to me. <laughs> I think it's, it's you know, that's not, not all there is. And I don't think you have to memorize in order to fulfill this verse, but it's so helpful. You have Jesus's words, and not just Jesus, like the red letter edition type words, but the word of God dwelling in you. Then the next step is prayer. Mm. You will have a fruitful, rich prayer life that fosters, again, dependence on God. You're not, oh, like, I'm a scripture memorizer, I'm going to be fruitful. No, you're a scripture memorizer based on your relationship with Christ. You get to pray. And then if you put all that together, then what's going to happen is you're going to bear fruit. Mm. And that fruit will be eternal. It won't be, it won't be dust in the wind. It will be fruit that will last. And in that way, you'll prove by your works, 
you actually were one of my disciples. I love that. And it's a beautiful cycle too of seeing how the word abides in us. It humbles us. We go to God in prayer. We pray according to his word. And then that cycle continues. We go back to his word, abide in him and recognize that he's our life. Powerful. So as we kind of close out this section on abiding, right? We said kind of abide and love are the two big themes in this chapter, or this first part of the chapter we're looking at. How does our bearing of abundant fruit glorify the Father? Well, it puts God on display. Whenever you think of the word glory, it means the radiant display of the attributes of God. And so our fruitfulness is, is putting God on display. If it's real fruit, you have shown how God is merciful or how God is loving, or how God is wise, or mm. something like that. You've put, put God on display. That's really the goal. And Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 5, you know, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify my Father in heaven, or your Father in heaven. Mm. So I'd love if you would just for the next minute or two, verses 9 and 10, there's a repeated phrase in here, abide in my love, abide mm. in my love. So this is kind of combining these two ideas, right? Abiding in Jesus, but then abiding in his love. And he talks about the relationship between the Father's love and his love for us, and then keeping his commandments and abiding in his love. Yeah, what an incredible statement. As the Father has loved me, that's how I've loved you. That's incredible. Amazing. The love that Jesus has for me. Hmm. Then he says, abide, dwell, remain in my love. What that means is you should have a constant sense, if you're a Christian, a constant sense of Jesus's great love for you, his affection for you how much he cherishes you. I think of, of Ephesians 3, that you would know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Mm. Have a sense of the magnitude of that love. Let it quiet you. Let it bring you happiness. Let it bring you peace and confidence. Uh, just have a sense of absolute security in the love of Christ, abiding in his love. And then he says, if you obey my commands, you'll abide in my love. So in other words, if you disobey me, you're gonna stop feeling that I love you. Mm. I won't stop loving you. I'll never stop loving you. But you won't feel it. You won't have that sense. You'll feel guilty. You won't be away from me. So that even Peter, we could imagine, on resurrection day, isn't necessarily as happy as he could be. Mm. Yes, Jesus is risen, but where am I on all this? Am I still in? Does he still love me? And Jesus has to deal with him. We'll talk about that when we get to that, God willing. But, mm. but if you sin, you won't have a sense that Jesus loves you like you did oh. before. And that's very, very damaging. So don't do that. Um, you know, Obey my commands so that you will abide in my love. I love that. And, and Jesus really gets to that in verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you mm -hmm. and that your joy may be full. Well, that's it right there. Yeah. You know, fundamentally, if you are just absolutely, totally, deeply, richly, fully convinced that Jesus loves you, you're going to be happy. You're going to be joyful. Conversely, if you're not sure whether Jesus loves you, if you are, are feeling guilty for your sins and all that, you are not going to have joy in your life. Mm. So what's the measure then of the love we should have for each other? And what's the measure of Christ's love for us? Yeah, this is the new commandment. We talked about this before, but mm -hmm. the new commandment is not love per se, but it's as I have loved you. Mm. So you must love one another. And John picks up on this in 1 John, where he says, yeah. this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ died for us. He laid down his life for us. And Jesus says here, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So that means to die for them, to give everything you have. And so that's the measure of Jesus's love is his willingness to die. And I think what we find in the Christian life, what I'm learning is 
that genuine love always involves sacrifice. Mm. And the greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. Or conversely, the greater the love, the greater the willingness to sacrifice. If you don't sacrifice much in a relationship, you don't love much in that relationship. And so therefore, there has to be the principle of costly giving. Mm. It's something that's costly for you. We also have to add the word uh, cheerful, that God loves a cheerful giver. You could give all you possess to the poor and surrender your body to the flames, but if you're not cheerful about it, if you don't have a sense of inner delight, you get nothing. Mm. And so there's that combination then of cheerful or happy, loving sacrifice. That's what love really is. Yeah. As Jesus continues in verse 14 and 15, he contrasts friends and servants. Why does he bring this up here and what's what's the difference that okay, he's getting well, at? This is like a greatest hits album, John, John 15, <laughs> 1 through 17. This, John 15, 15 is my go-to verse on what I, a fundamental concept in my Heavenly Memories mm. book, the book I'm writing, that when we get to heaven, uh, we will look back and know history and God will show us things. And one of the things he will show us is the reason for all of the suffering of God's elect. Specifically ours, yes, but everybody's. God will explain himself. He will reveal his reasons why uh, we suffered. Now, it's going to be bigger than that. He'll reveal everything to us. He'll reveal all of the details and intricacies of providence. And my wife asked me rightly, she said, how do you know that God's going to tell us everything? John 15, 15, and some other verses. God is in the process, Jesus is in the process of opening himself up to us, disclosing his mind to us, mm. telling us what it's all about. Think about, I think in Genesis 18, when God says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? No, I won't hide it. I'm gonna let him know everything that I have in my mind. So Jesus said, look, if you guys were servants or slaves, I wouldn't tell you anything. I'd just tell you what to do. But because you're friends and then later, better, brothers and sisters, I'm gonna tell you everything. Hmm. In verse 16, he uses language of choice, uh, but I think some people would think maybe we should be the ones doing the choosing. Yeah. Uh, what does it mean here when he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you? And how is this linked to our relationship, our ability to ask things, even in the rest of that verse? Yeah, this is a vital verse on the issue of really Calvinism and Arminianism. Fundamentally, this is how I understand it. It says in 1 John, um, we love because he first loved us. Mm. So we actually do love. We do love Jesus and we love each other, mm. but he loved us first. Yeah. And, the, and his love for us is the ground of our love for him and for others. Same thing with this choosing aspect. Mm. He chose us and therefore we chose him. And we did choose him. So we shouldn't take this literally that we didn't choose him. We did. But what he's saying is you didn't choose me ultimately. The ground of your choice was my choice of you. Wow. And the access that that gives us to the Father through Him to ask, we've talked about that earlier in our relationship to Him through prayer to be able to ask these things in His name is just an incredible gift as well. It is. He ends this section that we're looking at today saying, these things I commanded you so that, so purpose statement, that you will love one another. Mm -hmm. So the purpose of all of this is that we would not only love Him, but also love one another. Any final thoughts for us on these first 17 verses of these John are, 15? Yeah, these are rich verses about the ongoing life of discipleship, and it's wonderful that it ends as it should in love, love for him, mm. but love for one another. This has been part two of episode 31 in the book of John. We'd invite you to join us next time for episode 32 entitled, They Persecuted Me, They Will Persecute You, where we'll discuss John chapter 15, verses 18 through 27. 
Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification, and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.